Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. How many are hungry for the word this morning? I pray it will be a blessing to you this morning. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. As it is my custom, I like to declare over the Bible before we read it. I always pray before I read the word. Does anybody else do that? Is that weird? I just ask that my heart and my mind be open to the word as I read it. And so we have this little declaration we like to declare. Uh, We'll put it up on the screen. So I want you to grab your Bible and I want you to say, this is the infallible, undisputed, and inerrant word of God. Today, I open up my heart, mind, spirit, and soul to receive from its truths. God, I thank you that fruit will abound to my account as a result of reading, hearing, and applying your word to every area of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Chapter 10, verse 17. And it says this, Now as he was going out on the road, Who was going out on the road? Jesus. And one came running and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher. Everybody say good. Notice he didn't call him God. He called him good. Good teacher. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And so Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God. And he said, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud or lie, honor your father and your mother. And Jesus, excuse me, the young rich ruler answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And then Jesus looking at him, loves him. Don't you just love that? Jesus looked at him and loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have a treasure in heaven and come, take up your cross and follow me. But the young rich ruler was sad at this word and he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. You know, I can almost picture this scene from start to finish. I have what you call a holy imagination that runs wild at times. I can picture this 35-year-old. I'm just guessing the Bible doesn't say it. This is the DSV version, the Donnie Smith version. I can picture this young rich ruler waking up that morning and getting his Armani suit out of his hutch or his closet. What do they call those things? Armoires? I can see him getting ready, putting on his nice, you know, Jesus-looking sandals, maybe with some golden edges on there, and him whistling as he gets ready, maybe even going on his app on his phone. Of course, they didn't have phones back then, checking his bank account, and just maybe going to all of his servants that morning and announcing that they're going to go take a long journey because he heard that Jesus was coming. I can picture this man's smile on his face, but yet inwardly there was obviously something missing in his life. You know, as I said last week during Father's Day, there's a hole in every male and female's heart, and it's in the shape of a father. But there was obviously something missing in this man's life because the Bible talks about how ecstatic the man was when he ran to Jesus. The Bible says he ran and he fell at Jesus' feet. So although he had great possessions, great wealth, He had servants. He had everything externally that you would think would satisfy an individual's life, but yet he was lacking something. And Jesus identified that in those last verses. He said, you still lack one thing. 
You know, I wish this man would have caught Jesus' sermon in Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. He starts to talk about the Beatitudes. How many, how many know what the Beatitudes is? Found in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6 and 7. Because Jesus talks about these heart issues. Now, all the, though this man had dealt with all the external things. He went through the religious motions. I'm sure he went to church every Sunday morning and maybe even every Wednesday night. And he was there for every event. He says, I've kept all these things since my youth. Externally, this man was holy and his heart was satisfied. He said, all these things I've kept, I've done everything. I've gone through the religious motions. What do I still lack? Yet when Jesus communicates the beatitude, Jesus raised the standards it wasn't just live by the Ten Commandments. It wasn't about an external issue any longer. It was about the matters of the heart. And that's exactly what matters most to God. It's not necessarily what you do externally that matters to God, although that is important. It's a matter of the heart. Look at somebody and say, it's a matter of the heart. And so Jesus raises the bar, and here's what he said. Because this man says, I've never murdered. I've never stolen. I've honored my father and my mother. I've done everything aright according to the law. But here's what Jesus says in Matthew 5, chapter 21. It won't be up on the screen. I'll read it to you. And it says this. You've heard it said from the beginning, and it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. For whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without of cause will be, will be in danger of judgment. So it wasn't necessarily about someone being murdered that makes you a bad person. How do you feel about your brother or your sister in your heart? Jesus raised the bar. I hear people all the time telling me about tithing not being in the Old Testament. I'm not here to talk about tithes and offerings. That's another topic. But for context's sake, Jesus actually raised the bar. I hear people say that this is in the Old Testament. You know, Jesus did away with the Old Testament. Jesus didn't lower the bar. He actually said this, give it all. He said, whoever desires to come after me, unless you leave everything behind, you're not worthy of me. And it's not that he wanted to take all these man's possessions. What Jesus really wanted to take possession of was this man's heart. But he knew this, this man, his heart was shared with money, not his affections weren't shared with Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus wants from all of us. He doesn't want us to just go through the external motions of just going to church and saying a quick prayer when we wake up in, in the morning. He wants to know, do I have your heart? Am I the object of your affection? Am I your center focus in your life? When you wake up in the morning, is checking Facebook the object of your affection? Or am I the object of your affection? Do, 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 you, do you wake up in the morning looking at how you can carve a piece of time out for me? Or do you wake up in the morning just checking everything off of your checklist? Do you run to work or do you run to me first before you go to work? Because by all external, by the external uh, reaction of this man running to Jesus, you would think that he was a hardcore Jesus-following disciple. But his heart wasn't bowed, only his knees were. Is your heart bowed to him this morning? Is he the object of your affection? Is he the one you long to go to? And then he goes on in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, he talks about adultery of the heart. This man never slept around. He wasn't an immoral man. He was a righteous man by the religious standards. And yet Jesus coins this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. You've heard it said of those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, he raised the bar. Everybody say, he raised the bar. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman with lust for her, he's already committed adultery in his heart. And so maybe this man didn't commit adultery physically, but it was a matter of the heart. And this is why Jesus said, you still lack one thing. It's because he got everything right externally, but internally he was marred. He wasn't, Jesus wasn't the object of his affection. And lastly, he goes on to say in Matthew chapter five, verse 38, he said, you heard it said that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, to do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn your left cheek to him. And if anyone wants to sue you and take away your money or your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Give to him who asks. 
and from him who wants to borrow from you. Do not turn away. And he goes on to talk about loving your enemies. And this man, in another verse, he actually says, who is my neighbor? Because Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And he goes on to say, who is my neighbor? In other words, he was looking for a way out. Isn't it funny that our heart is always looking for a way out of doing what God requires us and calls us to do? Today, I want to minister from a subject called all or nothing. Look at somebody and say, give it all or give nothing. That's what Jesus was wanting from him. And he knew that if this man were to simply give up his wealth, he would have his heart. And that's what Jesus wants all of us. But here's what Jesus is asking this morning. Not only do I not, do I have your heart, number one, but I, can I tell you this? If he has your heart, he has everything. If he has your heart, you don't matter. It doesn't, tithing doesn't matter. It's not an issue. If he has your heart, church, coming to church is not an issue. Those external things become easy. You know, I told someone recently, in, my, in the beginning of my relationship with the Lord, it was like climbing a hill or eating rocks. It was tough. It was tough not to do certain things that I was used to doing. It was tough not hanging out with certain individuals that I was used to hanging out with. It was really tough to not drink or not to do this thing or that thing. But once you fall in love with him, holiness and righteousness begins to be a joy to you and gives energy to you and strength to you. It doesn't diminish you. When you love him, those things fuel your relationship with him. And then no longer is it tough not doing this or that. It becomes easy. It becomes strength to your bones and life to your spirit. And walking with him becomes much, much easier. Pleasing him begins to please you. It's not a difficult thing. Look at somebody and say, it's not hard. Look at somebody else and say, it's not hard. And God is more concerned with why you do things in your heart versus the things you do externally. And so Jesus, when this man came running, tests his motive. That would be my first point. Is God comes and checks the motive of everyone's heart. Do you know why I love lingering in worship. I love coming and lingering in worship. And this used to be hard at first, but I come before him and I want him to come and search my motives. I want him to come and search me through. This is what David said. Lord, come and search me through. Try me and see if there's any wicked way in me and then lead me in the way of everlasting. And this man, when I think about it, he was only out for the good of himself. He wasn't after a relationship with Jesus. Come on. This man was simply after a better life for himself, not to better his relationship with the Lord. He was out for his own good. He was there for selfish motives. You know, when I think about the story of Zacchaeus, this is interesting to me. How many know about the story of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a rich man. He would take from the poor. He collected taxes. And so Zacchaeus stops Jesus. He was a short man. He gets up in a tree and he yells out to, Je yells out to Jesus. Jesus says, hey, we're going to go to your house tonight and we're going to have dinner together. Did you notice that Jesus never even asked him for his, never asked him for money, never asked him to repay? And you want to know why? Because before even Jesus gets to ask Zacchaeus for anything, he's, he says, Here's what Zacchaeus says to him. Lord, every, to everyone I've taken from, I give half of my wealth back. And so Jesus didn't have to ask him for anything. And the fact of the matter is, Jesus did not need nor want the money from this young rich ruler. He wanted his heart. He wanted to know that he was the object of his affection. And this is why Jesus didn't ask it from Zacchaeus, because he knew Zacchaeus had the right heart posture. There are certain things that God will ask you from in your life, not because he wants to diminish you, not because he wants your money, not because he wants that relationship, not because he wants you to leave that job, or he wants to make your life worse. What what he wants to know is, do I have your heart? Will you live obedient and abandoned to me completely? Somebody say, give it to Jesus. 
And that's what some people do when they come to Jesus, like this young rich ruler. He came and ran and bowed, not because he wanted Jesus, but because he wanted a better life. He was seeking eternal life. He had everything except eternal life. So he came and bowed down, and I believe he was thinking in his mind, I'll do whatever I got to do. I'll bow down to, to whatever degree I have to bow down to in order to get what I want. And that's what many people do in their relationship with the Lord. They lift their hands or they raise their voice, not because they love him. Oh, God, just look straight. But because they're seeking benefits from him. Because they want his benefits. Somebody say benefits. Some people come to him and give their heart to him because they just simply want eternal life. They want to escape hell. They want to escape wrath. But God wants you to come to him and he wants to offer you eternal life, not because you deserve it, but because he loves you because he wants fellowship with you, because he wants to embrace you as a son or a daughter, and he wants to spend eternity with you. Some people come to him and lift their hands to him because they want a better job or a better life, or they want a spouse, or they want more peace in their life, and they can't attain it any other way. Sometimes people come to him because they want to make their marriage better, or they come to Jesus because they're hoping that God will just look and smile on them and make their spouse better. Come on, somebody talk to me. And there's nothing wrong with these things. I think all of these things are good, they, but they come as a default of your relationship with the Lord. It should not be the object of your affection. And these things were simply an object of that man's affection. Jesus was not the object. And here's the beauty of it all. He doesn't mind giving you anything. He's willing to give you anything as long as you love him more than anything. Come on, somebody say amen to that. He'll give you anything. He'll, the Bible says he owns cattle on a thousand hills. Do you know why some people, God doesn't make them rich and makes others rich? It's because God knows that riches will ruin some people. And he means, and he knows that he will lose you as a means of giving you too much. And he, at the expense of not losing you, he resists on giving to us. God will oftentimes hold things back, hold certain blessings back because they have the potential of ruining our relationship with him. There's plenty of people that I've walked with, even ministers that love the Lord, started off loving the Lord, and then lights and the cameras and the money begin to pour in, and it actually ruined their relationship with the Lord. And that's with people all the time. Sometimes, I remember Cohen, I told this story before. I was shaving in the mirror, and he wanted to shave. I said, son, not now. Right now, this razor will be a curse to you and not a blessing. He also asked me for my keys one time. Let me drive, daddy. I said, son, if I give you this too early, it has the potential to hurt you. And that's oftentimes the way that God thinks. Sometimes he refrains from giving us things to keep us safe and to keep us close to him, not because he doesn't love you. So if there's something that God is refraining on giving you this morning, if there's something in your heart that you want that you're not seeing come to pass, listen, have you ever thought about the reason God is not answering that prayer is because he enjoys seeing you on your knees and enjoys the relationship and the communion with you? Some, there's times when if God gives you that thing too soon that your fellowship will stop with him. You'll stop praying. You'll stop seeking. You'll stop fellowshipping with him. You'll stop coming to church. Come on, somebody say amen to that. You know it's true. Sometimes God will withhold because he wants to keep you close to him. This man was bowing for benefits, not out of worship. Never bow out of benefits. Never come and bow to him or worship him because of what it is that you can get. When you get Jesus, everything else comes as a result. Seek first, Matthew chapter 6 says. First, seek what? Seek the kingdom of heaven. First, seek God and all these things will be added to you. If we seek him, we get everything else. If he is the object of our affection, we will receive more from him. But if we go seeking the stuff, the stuff will ruin us. If we go seeking the stuff, it will affect our relationship with him. But if we seek him and the kingdom of God first, everything else will come as a result. And you know what I've seen God allow to happen? God will, and when your motives are off, when you're bowing for benefits and not for relationship with him, he will limit his access to himself. Did you hear what I said? When we go to seek him, if he knows the motives are off, he will allow limited access to himself. 
Have you ever had a really hard time? And this is not every time. Have you ever had a really hard time engaging in God's presence? And if we really think about it, there are things that were kind of interrupting our heart. Either we were seeking with a tainted motive. We were seeking with an impure motive. We were seeking because we needed God to answer ABC. And it's not that he doesn't want to answer those things. I honestly come in here with a boatload of prayer requests. And many times I don't pray them because I know if I could just look to him, if, as long as I just focus on him, it's not that he doesn't know what's going on. He knows what's going on. He is well acquainted and intimate with your situation. He knows your marital needs. He knows your financial needs. He knows that you need peace. But here's what I've learned about God. If I don't pursue the needs or I don't pursue those prayer requests and I simply pursue him by default because of my proximity to the one who is a blesser, those things begin to begin to change in my life as a result of my proximity to him, not because I'm simply asking for them. Your prayers will be answered a whole lot quicker if you just stop giving the Lord all these boundless prayer requests, these excessive prayer request and simply make him the object of your affection, the object of your focus, and simply spend time with him because he comes as a result of those things. There was this story in Mark chapter 7. It's verse 1 through 7, and it's about the religious leaders. They were the pastors of that day. They were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And what they would do is they, had, they would go through these religious motions before eating and drinking. Before eating, they would wash their hands in certain ways. They would wash their couches in certain ways. They would even take their cups, and they would literally hold the cup and turn the cup. And if you're familiar with the Jewish culture, they still actually practice some of those things today. And Jesus' disciples were not seminary-trained disciples. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were sinners. They didn't go through etiquette classes like the Pharisees and Sadducees did. So they didn't know how to perform all those different things. All they did was they loved Jesus. And so what happens is, is the disciples, I guess, came to an event, and they just begin to eat. And the Pharisees got mad, and they go to the disciples, and they said, why do you eat with unwashed hands? Why do you not go through these ceremonial traditions before eating and before drinking? And so they got mad at them. And here's the whole point of it all. Jesus seen through their motives. And here's what Jesus said to them. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They go through all the outward religious motions, but their heart isn't in line with mine. How many know that you can stand there and worship and lift your hands and lift your voice and your heart be on your bills? How many know that you can stand there and lift your hands and think about the hundred thousand of problems that you have or about going to lunch after church or the checklist that you have come Monday morning? We can lift our hearts, yet our hearts, excuse me, we can lift our mouths without our hearts being connected to him. And so Jesus called these religious leaders out and said, listen, you guys are great going through the motions, but your heart is so disconnected from me. And that's what God is concerned with. He's concerned with the motive of the heart. And Jesus was simply saying, I don't care so much about the posture of your hands. I don't so much care about the posture of your knees like with this young, rich ruler. I'm more concerned with the posture of your heart. Amen. Point number two, and although this man offered Jesus worship, it had leavened in it. Now watch this. It had idolatry in it, and I want you to notice this. Jesus, in all of those commandments that Jesus gave this young, rich ruler, he said, you know the commandments, and he knew the commandments, but Jesus didn't name all of them. He named most of them, but one of them that he kept out was, have no other gods before you. Because Jesus knew that was the issue, but he wanted this man to think for himself. He wanted this man to get the revelation for himself. You love your money more than you love me. You love things more than you love me. So be careful. What, is it? what am I trying to say? Point number two, be careful of good worship. I know that really sounds funny, doesn't it? What do I mean by good worship? We love good worship, don't we? But sometimes we worship good more than we worship him. And this is exactly what that man was doing. He was only bowing down because he wanted more good in his life to happen. 
not because he loved Jesus. Does everybody hear what I'm saying? In this particular verse, he says to him, Jesus says to this young rich ruler, there is no one good but God. Was Jesus good? Yes, he was. Do you know why Jesus answered in this fashion? Because he knew this man didn't look at him as God. He looked at him as just a good man who was able to do something for him. He was worshiping good. He wasn't worshiping God. He was wanting more good for himself. He just wanted eternal life. He wanted something that would benefit his life and not benefit his relationship with God. So you have to be careful not to worship good more than you're worshiping God. Come on, somebody say amen. If you don't know what I'm saying, here's what I mean. There's this, there's this spirit of, of worshiping good arising in the world even right now. There's many, many people like the old saints. I grew up around some older saints in the church. They would fast to seek God. They would fast and they would pray. I'm talking about all night prayer. We used to go to this thing. We'd go to prayer at 6 a.m. in the morning. Then on Friday nights of every fourth um, Friday of the month, it was called Midnight Cry. And you would see these old saints pace back and forth. And they would talk about how they'd been you know, praying and fasting and believing for God. And you've seen their prayers being answered. And now these days when people are fasting, they're fasting for the benefits of their health, not to get close to Jesus. And they're worshiping good more than they're worshiping God. Not that those things are negative. It's good to go on a cleanse. But if the main reason for you fasting and you say, I'm fasting just to make yourself sound spiritual and you're simply doing it for your health, that's worshiping good, not worshiping God. Let me give you another example. There are people who come to the church, come to church or go to church on Sunday morning simply to become better people, not to become God seekers. They come because they, they want to be better morally. They want to take care of themselves better. You hear all the eyes in that, the self in that. We don't come to church. We're not supposed to come to church because we want to live better lives or do better. We come, we get better as a result of our proximity with Jesus. And so we have to be careful that we are not bowing down to good versus bowing down to our Savior. I have a question. Have you, do you have, how many have kids in here? Teens or had teens at one point. <laughs> I know there's different age groups in here. I remember um, a couple years ago, particularly, I think Imara was about 16. I was, I was say to her, you need to find a different crowd to hang out with. You need to hang around different people. And she began to try to hang out with different people. And the reason we tell ourselves that, or if you're in business and you say, hey, if you want to uh, be wise, hang out with the wise. If you want to be successful, hang out with successful people. This is exactly what this young rich ruler was doing. He was worshiping good. He was saying, I just want to be around you, Jesus, because I know what benefits come with being around you. It's not that Imara wanted to go hang around those good people, although she would go hang out with them. She was doing it to become a better person. How many of us have ever done that? I know even in business that I would hang around other business men and women. I'd ask them questions because I was doing it out of my benefit. Never hang out with Jesus simply because of what you can receive or get from him. Hang out with him because of who he is. Serve him because who he is. Serve him because he is worthy of all of our praise and all of our adoration and all of our sacrifices, not because what he has to offer us. Look at somebody and say, seek him for who he is. I recently sat with a pastor in the back room in the green room two weeks ago. And as I sat with him, and he's a really good pastor before I say what I'm about to say, and I will never drop names publicly. He's a great pastor. And as I sat with him, he began to share with me the underbelly of ministry. I thought to myself, who are you telling and he said, man, I thought, I thought it would be different than this. And he went on to say to me, God can have this right back. It broke my heart. I almost wanted to cry. And I know what he meant. It's because when he said yes, as he thought about all the benefits. And he went on to share with me, Benjamin, he began to say, I thought this would be a whole lot easier. He said, I thought if I planted this church, and I believe I was being obedient, I thought if I planted the church, started writing books and preaching, everything would just be really, really easy, and my ministry would take off. And I began to think about this young rich ruler who was bowing for benefits. And it's not that this man 
did things out of a selfish motive. But there were some things in his heart that needed to be worked out and straightened out. Because if you just bow to him, all the benefits will follow. If you do everything out of a love and an affection for him, everything else will fall into place. Don't follow Jesus or do for Jesus because of how it will benefit you. I heard a worship song not that long ago by Jason Upton. And I may destroy the quote I'm about to say, but in the verses of this song, he said, sometimes there is no compensation for doing good. Sometimes no compromise, excuse me, sometimes no compromise means no compensation. Did you hear what I just said? Sometimes no compromise and your walk with the Lord means no compensation. In other words, what if you do what God told you to do and it didn't benefit you? And you will not see the benefits until the other side. Would you still do it? Would you still be obedient? Would you still follow him even if it didn't benefit you publicly or even privately? What if God told you to start a ministry and you didn't see the success right off the way that you wanted to see it? What if God told you to marry someone and you didn't see the fruit of that relationship the way that God, you, you thought God was going to cause things to come to fruition? What if God told you to start a business where you're not seeing the results that you wanted to see? What if you did something that he told you to do and you don't see immediate results or fruit? Will you still be, still be obedient to him? Will you still follow him? Will you still live a sacrificial life? This young, rich ruler didn't want to follow Jesus because it wouldn't benefit him immediately. He wasn't willing to lay everything on the line. He wasn't willing to lay his, or take up his cross and follow after Jesus because he knew there was a price to pay if he did. Will you still follow the Lord even if it costs you something? Look at somebody and say, it costs you something. It costs you something. Look at what Matthew says. Well, you can read it on your own time or make a note of it. In Matthew chapter 7, is this okay, guys? It's quiet up in the Presbyterian church this morning. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 14, it's one of my favorite verses, but it's one of the most stinging verses I've ever read. He said, enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are few, excuse me, there are many who go in by it because narrow, because difficult is the gate that leads to life. And there are only a few who find it. Who told you that it was easy following Jesus? I know there's this gospel being sounded all over the world right now that if you, if you just accept the Lord, everything is going to go perfectly in your life. If you just choose to love Jesus, you'll have a peaceful life. God will begin to bless your marriage. Think think about the erroneous idea of that. The disciples, they were losing their heads literally because they chose to follow the Lord. Sometimes it's difficult when you say yes to Jesus. And it may not pay immediate results, but it will pay eternal dividends if you follow through and you choose to follow him and be obedient to him no matter the cost or the price. Because as a matter of fact, there's scriptures that say as a result of following him, God will see to it that you will not go unrewarded. He rewards the faithful. He rewards those who are willing to lay it all down. He rewards those who are willing to not even count the cost and to leave it all for the sake of the gospel. Amen. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, it says this, For it is God who works in you to both will and to do for whose good pleasure? His good pleasure. Too many people come to Jesus for their own good pleasure and for their own benefits. Friends, can I tell you this morning, he made you for his good pleasure, not your own. And so our goal should always be, our aim should always be, our affection should always be, how can we please the master? How can we please our friend? How can we please our savior? And never resist when he asks you to leave something behind because he often asks you to leave things behind, certain things behind, certain relationships. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's a job. It's never a spouse. Look at somebody and say, it's never a spouse. No, we don't leave the wounded behind. But sometimes he will try to empty your hands because he has so much more for you. But because your hands are cluttered with things that don't belong, he can't get to you what he's wanting to because your hands are occupied 
with the things that you've accumulated, with the things that you're holding on to, the things that you've refused to let go of. He created you for his purpose, not yours. Point number three. I want to talk about an acceptable sacrifice. I'll be done in about 15 minutes. If you give me just a little bit more time, will you give me just a few more minutes? An acceptable sacrifice. Everybody say acceptable sacrifice. Listen what he says on the back end of that verse regarding the young rich ruler. He says, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have a treasure in heaven. Somebody say, sell everything you have, spiritually speaking. And follow me sometimes, it's naturally though. And follow me. But the man was sad at this word and he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Jesus will not accept a limited sacrifice. Because a limited sacrifice is no sacrifice at all. And I have a question this morning, and this may not be all of you, but to some degree, some of us are all sacrificing something. Whether it's a job, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in a ministry, whether it's something that you're suffering with privately. And God is requiring us all to sacrifice something this morning. Here's my question to you. What is it that he's asking you to sacrifice that you were unwilling to sacrifice to him this morning? Does he have your all? He will not accept a limited sacrifice because limited sacrifice is no sacrifice at all. And there are several times in the Old Testament when God actually rejected someone's sacrifice. Can I read them to you? With Cain and Abel was one of the first things, one of the first few books of the Bible, excuse me, first chapters in the Bible, rather. In Genesis chapter four, this is what God says to Cain. Watch this. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering. Watch this. He brought an offering. Everybody say an offering. The fruit of the ground. Everybody say the ground. Notice he didn't say first, though. He didn't bring the first of it. He brought an offering from the ground. It was fruit from the ground. Now watch this. And Abel brought of the firstborn of the flock. Everybody say first. It was the first of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel's offering, but he did not respect Cain's offering. And Cain was angry and his countenance fell. God rejected Cain's offering because it wasn't his best. It wasn't a sacrifice. And when it comes to tithes and offerings, I want to touch this just for a second. And again, I don't mean to bring up tithes and offerings. I'm using this as an example. If you tithe third, it's not necessarily considered a tithe. Now listen, before you walk out of the church, just hear me out. One of the first things my wife and I do when, because our money is automatically um, deposited into our bank account, one of the first things that we do is we tithe. Very first things. Now, will God be upset with you if you go buy some clothes that Friday because you got that deposit before you go online and you tithe? Absolutely not. He knows your heart. But if there's this steady, repetitive um, habit that you have of just seeing what you have left over before you give to God, that's not tithing. Because he's not first. Everybody say first. Because first means first. So if I make $500 and I give that $50 after I pay everything off, that's not tithing. Tithing because God wanted his first and he rejected Cain's offering not because it wasn't good, but because it wasn't first. Why? It's not just the amount that you're giving or whatever it is that you're giving up, a relationship, a certain habit, whatever it might be in your life because God wants your first because when you give of him first, he knows that he's in your heart first. The Bible says he's the first, not the last. Well, actually, he's the first and the last. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Somebody say first. So he gave, Abel gave the first fruit of his livestock. And when you give of him first, it's an indication of where your heart's at. A lot of people say, well, the Lord has my heart. He knows my heart. I heard someone say once, one time, if you show me your bank account, I'll tell you what's first in your life. Is it electronics? Is it the Lord's house? Is it makeup? Is it your hair? What's first in your life? Oftentimes, our bank accounts will reflect who and what's first in our lives. This is the reason why we worship on Sundays, isn't it? 
because we want to give God, I know that we think Monday is the first day of the week, but actually today is the first day of the week because God set it up that way because he wanted to be the first that we worship before we got on with the rest of our week because he's first. Everybody say first. Malachi gives a good example of this. I want to give a few examples here if that's okay. Malachi talked about polluted offerings and his offerings was rejected. And this is the reason why Jesus really, he didn't reject this man's worship, but this is why this man went away sorrowful because his worship was not received because it wasn't true, unadulterated, spotted, excuse me, worship. Watch what Malachi says. Talked about this polluted worship. Malachi chapter one, he says, as a son honors his father and a a servant, his master, if then I am your father, where is my honor? This is God talking through Malachi, the prophet the last book of the Old Testament. He said, if I am a master, where then is my reference, says the Lord of hosts. He's talking to priests and prophets. And he says, to you priests who despise my name. Look, they're, they're, they're taken back because he, they're like, whoa, 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 what do you mean? Why is, why is our worship towards you despised? We don't despise your name. And he says, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? And watch what he says. You offer defiled food on my altar. But you say, in what way? In what way have we defiled you by saying the table of the Lord is contemptible? And you, he said, listen, watch what he says. And when you offer the blind and the maimed as a sacrifice, and when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer that to your governor. Will he not be pleased with you? And will he accept you favorably, says the Lord? What do I mean by that? There were certain people, when you would offer your sheep or your goats or your livestock, that was the way they sacrificed. That was their commerce back then. They would offer their livestock. That was their money. Everybody say money. He was saying some of the priests were giving him what they didn't want. And it's not a sacrifice when we give of, to the Lord what we don't want. Those spotted calves, those spotted sheep, or those sheep that were maimed or blind, you couldn't sell them in the market. And that's what they would do as a sacrifice. They were giving God something that really didn't cost them anything. They were giving him something that didn't cost them much. And that's exactly what the young rich ruler was doing. He didn't want to give Jesus out of his abundance. He didn't want to give him all. He only wanted to give him what was convenient. He he thought his bowing down and acting as if he was worshiping him was good enough. But the Lord went after the heart. He wanted what was most important to this man. Let me ask you something this morning. Are you giving Jesus what is most important to you? Your time, your money, your efforts, your talent. What are you withholding from him? And whatever that is, when you decide to give that up to him, that is true, unadulterated worship that God receives and will never reject. Somebody say acceptable sacrifice. My, my son, Cohen, I've told this story, if it's okay. I'll tell it again. A couple Christmases ago, a few Christmases ago, he has a specific toy that he really, really loved. And I wanted to teach Cohen about sacrifice. So Christmas would come around. I would tell him, I tell him weeks in advance, I want you to find your best toy. He's eight. I want you to find your best toy. And then we're going to go to the stores, Walmart or Sam's Club or wherever. And we're going to find someone that the Lord highlights in your heart. And I want you to give that best toy away. Okay, daddy. He was real excited until it got real the day of. And so he found his Baymax toy. How many know what Baymax is? Baymax is Big Hero 6, one of my favorite animations. Really cool movie. Great meaning. Um, You're not Christian if you don't watch it. No, I'm just kidding. It's a great, it's a great uh, animation. So Cohen grabbed that Baymax, and we went to all the stores, and Cohen found a little boy, almost the same age. He was being pushed around in the cart by his mom, and Cohen said, Daddy, that's the one. That's the one. It took a couple of days. He finally found the kid, and um, he gives it to him, and the following Sunday, we go to church, and there was a big giveaway, and guess what someone gave to Cohen? a Baymax toy. God doesn't take just to simply take away from you. He just wants to see if your heart is in the right place. And listen, would I be lying to you to say that he doesn't take? I would absolutely be lying to you. He takes away, but only to bless and give it back. Good measure, 
pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And he's all willing to give things back to you, and not just maybe the same thing, but maybe in more access and more abundance with greater blessing, but he takes it so that he can bless it and then give it back to you. Isn't that what he does when a man is with his wife and gives her a seed? God takes what we give and he blesses it, and then something greater is birthed. Isn't that what he do, does with our prayers that act as seeds? We, we lament, we pray, we ask, and we seek God, and then God waters that seed, and it gives birth birth to something much, much greater. And that's exactly what he did with Cohen. He took what was Cohen's, what was dearest to his heart, and yet he blessed it and turned it around and just wanted to, I believe the Lord just wanted to see, even though he used his dad to kind of, you know, initiate it. But God still used that to prove to Cohen at a young age that, listen, I will take things, but I take it to bless it and to give back to you in greater measure. Amen. You can stand to your feet. You know what was really interesting to me? Is that this man's name, you can't just read the Bible, you have to read the Bible. Like pay attention and read. You know, the Bible took its time in Matthew to go through in the entire genealogies, right? Mention all these names. And Rahab begot so-and-so, and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and it gives this whole chapter dedicated to genealogies. You know what I noticed this morning? I believe it was either last night or early this morning when I was spending time with the Lord. How this young, rich ruler's name was never mentioned. Yet Zacchaeus' name was mentioned. He was a, he was a rich man. But this young, rich ruler's name was never mentioned. I believe the Bible did that intentionally. Very intentionally. You have people like Rahab, who was a harlot. Her name was mentioned and mentioned in those genealogies. Not only that, but there are others whose names, like the, the, the harlot who, who took that flask of very costly oil and she put it on Jesus' feet and wiped it off with her hair. Her name was mentioned. As a matter of fact, the Bible went on to say that this will be as a memorial to her. And whenever her name is mentioned in the Word, she would be honored because of her sacrifice. What does that say to me? It says that when you are sacrificial and willing to lay down anything for the kingdom of God's sake, when it hurts you, there's nothing that you will ever give up sacrificially where God won't remember your name. And lastly, I want to talk about the true cost. Everybody say the cost. There is a cost with following the Lord. Let no, make, let no one make any mistake about it. I coined this quote before from Catherine Coleman, one of my favorite evangelists. She was very extravagant. I'm sure Tamaki remembers her. And she said, it costs much, but it's worth the cost. It's one of my favorite quotes by her. And there is a cost. And it does cost much, whatever it is that the Lord's asking for you to give him. Maybe it's putting a loved one in his hand that you, that you can't, you're having a hard time letting go of and putting them in the Lord's hands. Maybe it's just something that God is asking you in that regard. Maybe it's a father who's not making the right life choices and you have to kind of wash your hands, so to speak. Maybe it's a child that you keep bringing up to the Lord. Lord, I wish they would get right with you, and you just can't seem to let it go. I don't know. Everybody has different sacrifices represented here in the room. Maybe it's a job that the Lord's asking you to let go of. Maybe it's you simply trusting in your own decisions in life. Maybe the Lord's saying, hey, look, relinquish your own strength. Let me be the driver in your life. You don't have to always count on yourself to make right decisions in your life. Let me be the driver. Let me the, be the one who governs your life. You know, there's some areas of the Lord he will not allow you to get to know unless you identify yourself with him through sacrifice. People who are not sacrificial, you know they don't know the Lord. The Lord at his very nature is sacrificial. For God so loved the world that he, he did what? He gave, and he gave of his best. 
what's the Lord asking you to give up this morning? You know what I found out is that I'm almost done. There's a lot of people who want to be anointed. They want hands laid on them and they feel like a greater anointing would fall upon them. And there is scripture verses that would validate that. But can I tell you, there are some levels of the anointing that you can't touch and you will never know without sacrifice, without tears, without going through heartache, without going through pain. Because that's how the Lord grooms us. It's how we identify ourselves with him. Whatever the Lord is asking you to sacrifice this morning, don't try to find an easy way out. When Jesus was stretched high on the cross, they offered him mingled wine with hyssop. And he rejected it. Do you know why he rejected it? It says he turned his face away and he rejected it. Because the wine would have gave him numbness to bypass the pain. But he didn't want to bypass the pain. Who knows? I don't know if he would have been able to still go to, go to hell and take the keys from the devil. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if he would have bypassed that, what would, what would have happened. But I know you gain a greater anointing upon your life when you're willing to f take the full blow, the full impact of your sacrifice without any easy escape routes. I'm going to read this last scripture and we're going to, we're going to pray. We're going to worship. We're going to allow you a few moments to meditate as to what it is the Lord's asking you for this morning. The disciples came to him in Luke chapter 18. And here's what Peter said to him. See, we've left everything and followed you. And so he said to them, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left houses, parents, brothers, wife, or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many more times in this present time and in the age to come, eternal life. The Lord may allow loss in your life, but when he gives it back to you, it will come back multiplied and more blessed than ever before. Ministries are birthed because of sacrifice. Businesses are birthed because of sacrifices. Destinies are born when you sacrifice. In the Old Testament, when the prophet, he slew the sacrifice. And guess what happened? The Bible says that fire fell from heaven. God will always send the fire when you sacrifice what's well-pleasing to him. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.